something that to us in modern American church culture will be unique. But it is exactly the way it would have been done when these epistles were written. I've been thinking and praying a lot about how to approach the Wednesday night services uh, during Missions Month. And the Lord changed some things on me yesterday, I believe. Uh, I believe I have His Spirit's direction here. We can always get these things wrong as men, but I believe this is truly what He wants. I feel strongly about it. And the book of Philippians is a book that is, uh, that is written as a letter from Paul while he is in prison in Rome to a church that he, best we can tell, started and planted. And so, essentially, when he writes to the church of Philippi, as is the case with most of the churches that he writes to, he was the missionary who reached them. And because he was the missionary who reached them, uh, when he writes back, he gives us a very unique perspective that I think would be really important for us to gather during the course of Missions Month. Now, these letters... Uh, that were written to the churches, which is what we call an epistle. It's, it essentially means a letter. So these letters that were written to these churches, they were written with the intent of the entire letter being read all at once to the church. So uh, you'll actually see that in some places in these epistles where it's actually commanded that they be read before the church. So uh, what would have happened is somebody would have stood and read the scriptures that had just recently been inspired by the Holy Spirit through Paul to that church, and they would have read it from beginning to end without stopping. And I have, for years, I have thought, we, we sometimes, I think, miss the bigger picture of what God is saying when we just kind of hone in on one or two verses in every chapter and kind of miss the bigger picture of what God is saying in the entire book. Now, before you get too nervous, I don't plan to read the entire book tonight. Um because uh, I'm not sure really any of us could handle that, myself included. Um, but what I would like to do is over the next four weeks is read through the chapters of the book of Philippians, and I will do my best to reserve comment unless absolutely led by the Holy Spirit so we can get through it as quickly as possible. Um, but I do intend to preach through some of this. I am called to preach the Word, so... Uh, I don't intend to simply read. I will preach from time to time as we get into these things. And I've spent time thinking and studying, praying over these passages. So there are some things that are already in my mind that we may stop and spend a little bit of time on. But um, as we get into the last chapter of the book of Philippians, there are some very unique reflections given by Paul about giving uh, towards missions and towards his ministry that I think would be really important for us to gather but in these first few chapters, he actually lays a groundwork for how important it is for their church to remain healthy so that they can continue to, to shed uh, the gospel abroad and so that they can continue to support him as he goes to shed the, the gospel abroad. So I'm not going to have you stand as we read the entire passage. Um, we will read a few verses. I'll allow you to be seated, and then we're going to continue through the chapter. The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would please meet with us. I know we're doing a very unique thing, but I pray that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And I pray that the power of your word would be evident. And Lord, I pray that you guide my thoughts and my speech and help me to, to focus on the scriptures that you would have me to focus on with your people before we go to prayer this evening. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. How can you read the first two verses without at least commenting for a moment about the phrase that is almost always repeated in these epistles, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to live with the understanding of His great grace which He has toward us and He wants that to bring peace and joy into our lives. And that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He literally says that I think of you so constantly that when I pray, I always pray for you. And, you know, I can only imagine what it would be like to have the type of, of, of uh, church planning scenario that took place between Paul and the people of Philippi. We find the account of it in Acts chapter 16, and it begins in verse number 9. He was called by a miraculous work of God to go to Macedonia. Actually, the Holy Spirit stops him from going to a place that he wants to go in Acts chapter number 16, and the Holy Spirit would not allow them to go there. That is explicitly spoken in the first few verses of that chapter. Then the Bible says that God miraculously comes to him in a vision and reveals to him he wants him to go to Macedonia. When they get there, what happens in Philippi? Well, we remember that there was a woman named Lydia who gets saved and her house, and they are baptized with her. But then there's a woman there who is a soothsayer, a sorcerer. She's uh, a, a witch or whatever she is, but she's into that kind of evil occultish craft. And um, she brought money and gain to a lot of the businessmen in that region, and she begins to follow and become curious about Paul and the men that are traveling with him. As a result, the men say, if she gets converted and if others in this area get converted because of these men, we're going to lose out on some of this. So they became angry with Paul and they threw him in prison, him and Silas. Now remember, at midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing a song. I've heard some good messages on that passage. They begin to sing a song at midnight. An angel comes. God performs a miracle. The earth shakes. The doors open up. And the Philippian jailer is afraid he's going to have to, to, to be uh, uh, killed for the fact that he has not been a good guard and the, the prisoners have escaped. Uh, Paul stops him from killing himself, right? And he says, wait, wait, don't take your life. We're all still here. The, the Philippian jailer falls on his knees before Paul and says what? What must I do to be saved? <laughs> God had ordained that entire situation to save one man, that Philippian jailer, and he and his house get saved. We don't know much more about what happens there in Philippi in that chapter. We, we, we know that those two got saved. 
And then, apparently, a church grew out of what took place there. And Paul says, I always want to come unto you. But right now, he's in prison in Rome. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. You cannot read this without seeing the love that Paul has for the people of Philippi. Now he says he's confident of something. Being confident in verse number 6 of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has started a good work in all of us. And aren't you thankful that the work he does is always good? There are a lot of works that are done by mankind today and a lot of works that we try to do that don't always turn out to be good. But what God does is always good. And He begins a good work in all of His people when He saves us. And through the Holy Spirit of God, He he changes us, He forms us into His image. He begins a good work in us. And in verse number 7, He says, It is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. I think essentially He's saying, I just have to believe that He's going to continue this good work in you, and that you all are going to allow Him to continue this good work in you, because I love you so much, I just can't imagine that you would allow anything to happen other than just growing in God. And can I just say, well actually I'm I'm getting ahead of myself here. So he says, I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds. He's talking about the literal bonds that he's in in prison. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For Look at verse number 8. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So he first of all says, I hope and pray that, that the work that God has begun in you, that he will be able to continue and perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, because it is meat for me to think this of you. He says, it's, it's good for me to think this of you. You have to understand how much a preacher desires for his people to live for God. I don't know if you can have any comprehension of how much it grieves me when a good person in this church begins to walk away from God and how much it rejoices my heart when you live for Him. I don't know if you can even comprehend without being called to be a pastor and and, and being placed in this position how great that love is and how great that desire is for every one of you to serve God and to live for Him. I dream about what God can do in all of your lives and that's what Paul is saying here. He says, it is meet for me to think this of you that God will be able to perform until the day of Jesus Christ that good work which He has begun in you. And he says in verse number 9, this second thing, this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He says, I want you to grow in love. And not only grow in it, but that your love may abound. In what way? Towards God and towards each other. He says, I want you to grow and I, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. In what? In knowledge, right? So our love grows as we gain knowledge of the Scriptures. The more of God's Word you read, the more it should change us and fashion us into somebody that is more like Him. And if we become more like Him, we can't help but love people. Don't don't say you are like Christ if you don't love all people. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, while we love people, we also need to retain some judgment. We need to have some common sense. 
Love all people. There is a way to love all people and still use some judgment. But we should also love people who are in judgment. You study that out for yourself and decide what you think God is saying there. Verse number 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent. What does that mean? That you may approve things that are excellent. In other words, that, that you would be circumspect about your Christian lives and not allow just anything into your thinking or any, just anything into your Christian way of walking. That you would approve only those things that are excellent. In other words, only those things that are right. Are you with me? He says, I pray that that's the third thing, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and with what? Without what? Without what? Without offense? Till the day of Christ? Without offense? Can we say that? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. That is what the fourth or fifth thing that is in his prayer. That he wants the people of God to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Oh, his heart begins to, to cry out for God's people to not just uh, skirt by in this life, but in, in their spiritual lives rather to be fruitful and plenteous and to do great works for the Lord. Y'all, if all of us would just adopt that philosophy that we are not just saved to wait until heaven comes, but we are saved to serve and be fruitful. To live for God, to serve God, to work for Him. Verse number 12, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other palaces, or in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, I want you to understand brethren, that, that the reason I am in prison is so that the gospel could be published even greater than it is now. Paul's outlook on God's will in his life was never, woe is me, but it was always, God can use this to further the cause. And that takes some serious mental strength to not live a life of woe is me every time hardship comes, but rather to say, what through my hardships can I further the cause of Christ with? We can all live that way and should. My, my father-in-law calls it being thick-skinned. Christians ought to be thick-skinned. You ought to be able to take Hardness. He tells Timothy that he ought to be able to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look, in this life, you are going to have bonds and afflictions if you try to serve God. That will come. And it is not to our detriment. It is to the benefit of the gospel if we do it right. But if we complain and live life as woe is me, I'm living such a hard life, such hard things have happened unto me, God's name is not uplifted because as a Christian, people see your hardship instead of seeing His name glorified. I know easier said than done. I'm preaching to myself there. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He says, my, my, my bondage here in this prison is what is causing the gospel to go out even further from here. Because people hear that I'm in prison for the gospel's sake. Look how he looks at life. 
I mean, even when he talks about the many um, persecutions that he experiences and gives us the list of them, he doesn't complain about it. He just says, this is my lot. This is what has happened because I have served God. He has, he has great strength in character and great strength in his mind, not easily cast down. And then he says in verse number 14, many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If he was, if he was complaining all the time and saying, you know what, woe is me, this is horrible, I can't believe what has happened in my life, then most likely the people that looked up to him as fellow laborers and fellow servants, in other words, guys like Timothy and, and men like that that followed along with him, if he complains about what's happening, what is likely to happen is they are to be discouraged from doing the same thing. Instead of having more boldness, they would be discouraged. But because of Paul's attitude, because he says, well, this is happening for the furtherance of the gospel anyway, because other brethren know of what is going on in his life, they have more boldness to go out and proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's not down about it. They say, well, my soul. Paul's in prison about this and he's happy for it. Let's go do something for God. See how his attitude affects others? Verse number 15, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Some people were attacking him while he was in prison. And they were preaching a gospel about Jesus Christ, and we don't know what they were saying, but Paul makes it clear that he was being attacked because he was in prison for the gospel's sake. So, we, only, we can only guess, and I do not want to guess too strongly to say that this is what was happening. But one of the most logical conclusions is that men were saying of him, other preachers were saying of him, well, he's an idiot, that's why he's in prison, and he's not preaching the gospel correctly, and, but I'll tell you what, I can preach it. But he, say, he says, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Isn't that something? He just says, so be it. If they want to make fun of me, if they want to mock me, if they, if, if, if they want to add affliction to my bonds by, by, by speaking against me, but in the process they're still preaching the gospel of Christ then I'm glad they're doing it. Wow. Hello? Remember when he said a few verses prior that I, I, I'm praying that you, um, where is it, da, 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 verse number 10, that you may approve things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ? Well, he's demonstrating that, isn't he? He says, I pray that you would be able to, to live your Christian life until the day that God comes without offense. And then he shows us how he's doing it. Verse number 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation. I didn't stop there because there's a comma, not a period. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I don't believe he's talking, well, we know he's not talking about his eternal salvation. That is secured by Jesus Christ and his blood. He's talking about being delivered from prison, from what I can tell. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see how important it is that we pray with our missionaries when we know that they are in affliction. He says, I know that by you hearing about these things that you'll pray for me. And then I'll have the supply of the Holy Spirit, if nothing else. Do you see that? 
according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in, no, in nothing else I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He says, I know God won't, he won't make me ashamed for, for having this confidence in Him. I won't be ashamed because of it. God would never do that to me. Huh. Verse number 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. He's not talking about living in the flesh as in following the works of the flesh. He's saying, if I stay here and stay alive and, and, and I don't die here, then this is the fruit of my labor, that the gospel is preached. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. So, he, so now he says, um, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I, what I want, I don't really know. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> and by the way, he didn't, he didn't say, this is not suicidal. I, I, I know I mentioned that a few weeks ago, uh, a, few a few months ago. Um, but I, I, I read some preacher or some philosopher or somebody that said, and it was circulating around on Facebook, somebody that said, you know, some of these preachers were suicidal and, and used Paul and, and um, Elijah as examples. And Y'all, when I read these passages, I don't read that they were thinking about taking their own lives. They were just yearning for Christ. They were yearning for heaven. And they were just saying, look, I... I this is in God's hands. If He spares me, He spares me. But if He doesn't, it's better for me to be with Christ anyway. Um, and then, of course, He says, I don't know what I would rather anyway. In verse number 24, Nevertheless, um, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, I know that it would be better for you if I stay. Verse 25, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He's not talking about your speech. He's talking about your lifestyle. The word conversation here means lifestyle. Let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Boy, our lifestyle should be, be becoming of our Savior shouldn't it? Hmm. That His name would not suffer reproach because of my life. But through our lives, it would be as becoming as our Savior deserves. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He says, if I never see you again, my hope and desire is that you stay unified as a church, not for nothing, because a unified church is more effective in spreading the gospel to those around them. We should be unified around one cause. 
that we send out from here, not just uh, uh, in, in the surrounding region, but all across the world, servants and, and, and the ability to support servants from here, that, that the gospel might continue to go out as a result of Calvary Baptist Church, but that can be denied quickly when a church gets at odds with itself and doesn't have the unity of the Spirit to say, you know what, there is something bigger than me, something bigger than our little fight, something bigger than this little thing that we have, but rather that something greater than all of us would be accomplished and that we should unify under that cause. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. But what Satan does is he gets us striving against each other so that we don't strive together for the faith of the gospel. If we spend all our energy fighting with and worrying about each other, we won't spend our energy out there. Satan knows, knows this. Remember over there in the book of James, those of you that have been in Sunday school with me? Where he talks about how that this wisdom is earthly, sensual, devilish to use your tongue to lash out at another Christian? Remember? That that's literally of the devil? So every time, every time it springs up in you that you want to lash out at somebody and say something negative about them, it's devilish. It's, it's the influence of Satan himself. Remember, in Ephesians, neither give place to the devil. What is that all about? It talks about letting all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Give place to the devil when you can't be kind and loving towards each other. The devils are involved in all that strife. The devils are involved in all that negative talk. They want to keep us fighting against each other so we're not fighting the greater cause. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, verse number 28, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Did I lose you? Did you read it with me? For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. What is it if we suffer a little while here for the honor and glory of our precious Savior's name? Having the same conflict which He saw in me and now here to be in me. He says, look, the things that are happening to me it's very possible the same conflict will happen to you, but he is worthy of it. And if that's what it takes for the gospel to go out, then so be it. Let the world fight against us, not us fight against each other. Let the devil fight against us, not us fight against each other. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us as a church to understand the strength of what has to happen in order for us to stay unified as a church so that the ministry that you have saved all of us to accomplish is accomplished. 
Holy Spirit, please speak to all of us through these passages as only you can. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Preacher, if 